Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. If you have your May issue of Lutheran Witness and you're ready for searching scripture, well, today's your day because <laughs> that's, that's what thing. we're going to do today. <laughs> so we're going to do that. Our guest today, Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois, joining us. Good morning, Pastor Oliphant. Good morning. Looking forward to digging into God's Word and searching Scripture with you in the May issue of The Lutheran Witness. This month, we continue in Philippians. Now we are in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Is that right? That's what I have. All right. Well, <laughs> glad we're all on the same page, literally. Would you, you want to read the text for us, and then we'll get into the theme and what you want to unpack today? Yeah. So Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Lots of great stuff here. I can't wait to dig in. What is the theme for this month? So in this month, we are generally working with the idea of this sacrificial service, particularly the way that our, our faith plays itself out in our everyday lives within our vocations. All right. Question one. Read Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. In the first words of this passage, it, appear, it might appear that Paul is teaching salvation by works with the words, work out your own salvation. But with the words of verse 13, we see that he is holding to the faith we know from the rest of Scripture. Read the following passages and write down how these all teach the same thing about salvation as Philippians. So we've got Habakkuk 2 verse 4, Luke 17 verse 10, Galatians 2 verse 16, and Ephesians 2 verse 8. Yeah, so this is one of the passages that I've actually had people try to point out to me that we are actually the captain of our own salvation because Paul himself yeah. writes right here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. However, that's just leaving off in the middle of the sentence where he writes, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is just Paul repeating what's been carried out through the rest of scripture. The very first passage that we have noted here is Habakkuk 2 verse 4, as you pointed out. And this is one of those key passages that helps interpret just all of Scripture, where the Lord is speaking to the prophet Habakkuk, and he is writing, Behold, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. The Lord coming down with the hammer of the law. And he writes, Oh, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And this, of course, is the prophet Habakkuk commentary, commenting on 
the entire life of faith of Israel, beginning all the way back with Abraham, whose faith is credited to him as righteousness. And so Paul is just following this tradition of understanding that this is how God desires to work, not through our, through our works, so that we're not puffed up within ourselves through faith. And Jesus himself, Paul picks up on this from Jesus's own sermons, where Jesus tells this, this little short parable in Luke 17. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? Afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so that verse 10 is what we have to ponder here in our study for this week. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. And Jesus has this little parable here saying it's not as if they're being rewarded for the things that they're just expected to do in this relationship with their master, but they are, they're just doing what's proper to their position. And so here Jesus is teaching that our salvation, the things that we receive from God are not some sort of reward or payment that we're getting for the things that we've done that are just expected of us, but that we, that we've already received that connection to our Lord and master. And now we're just the unworthy servants who are just simply doing what is our duty, our calling in life. And to try to use Paul's words here in Philippians as, a, as evidence that he, he's teaching salvation through works, it really doesn't fit in with anything else that he's written, particularly in Galatians, this Galatians 2 passage we have before us, where he writes that we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So there Paul is just keeping in step with what he's already said. And as well as in Ephesians 2, here it's a very similar thing for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so returning back to the passages, those two verses in Philippians, yes, we work out our salvation. It's just our faith moving through the world in the way that God always intended it to, not as some sort of reward that we have, um, but it's God who's working in us. Interestingly, Paul writes both to will. So even the desire for us to do these good things comes from God and the work that we're doing that's pleasing to him for his good pleasure. That's all he's doing too. And so we receive everything as a gift, even our good works. All gift, not by my merit, but by Jesus. All right. Question two. Ready? Philippians, read Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. What does Paul tell us to avoid? How does grumbling damage our faith and our service to others? Read Numbers 14, Malachi 3, verses 13 through 15, and John 6, verses 60 through 66 for examples. All right. Uh, we I have... got the grumbling question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> that was a very strategic move on Sarah's part there. <laughs> Yeah, so Paul is writing here to the Philippians who, to do all things without grumbling or questioning. There are plenty of examples in Scripture of grumbling and questioning going all the way back to Israel 
first being released out of Egypt, where it seems like they just could not find enough things to complain about. In Numbers 14, we have them rebelling and they're wishing that they had died in Egypt. It's so dramatic. Or that we wish that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the swords? They've made it all the way to the border of the promised land. And now they're griping that there are people living there and that now they're going to have to go in and seize it by the sword when the Lord has already promised that he'll drive out the enemies in front of them. Then they want to choose a different leader and go back to Egypt. And of course, this is all following on the heels of them complaining about there not being any food, which by the way, is one of my favorite complaints in all of scripture where they complain there's nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And they loathe this bread, the manna. So there's nothing to eat, but they loathe the bread that's there. It's like when you open the refrigerator and it's full and you just think to yourself, oh, there's nothing to eat in here. Mm. Israelites are keeping in step with their normal complaints here. And it actually ends up damaging both their relationship with, with Moses, with Aaron, the people who are, who have been interceding for them all along and been leading them through all of the dangers of the wilderness here. It ends up also damaging their faith in God by thinking that God has been holding out or that now God is going to betray them or turn his back on them when things are getting difficult. It actually has broken their trust in to the point that God says, oh, then this generation who's watched all of these wonderful things, they're not going to enter into the promised land, but it will be your kids. So it'll be a fresh start. The children of this generation will be able to see the, see the works of the Lord as they continue to make their journey through the wilderness. And then it'll be that generation who enters and sees the Lord's hand work. And this was some that stuck with Israel, their complaints in the prophet Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. We have the Lord speaking through the prophet Malachi against his people when he write, when he says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you, my people say, how have we spoken against you? And the Lord calls them out on it. And he says, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And so Israel here in the, in the time of Malachi is complaining that it does no good to actually follow in the Lord's ways, to keep his commandments, to do what's right, because the people who are flouting God's law, the people who are constantly and consistently breaking it, they seem to be thriving. They're rich, they're successful, they're famous, they're happy. And so the Lord says, I know what's in your hearts. I know the complaints that you're saying that you wish you could be like these people, but your words have been hard against me. So this is a dangerous attitude to have. And we see that attitude repeated in the New Testament as well. When the Lord in John six, Jesus has been teaching, and he's been teaching some pretty tough things. This is the, this is the passage about how he's the bread of life, but Anyone who doesn't eat and drink of the Son of Man has no life in And then we read here in John 6, verse 60, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then it ends up at the end of this that many of his disciples turn back and they no longer walk with him. That they face this difficulty and rather than 
asking the Lord for enlightenment or increased faith or the ability to walk forward and carry their crosses. Instead, they decide to no longer walk with him. And so there is a real danger. Grumbling damages our faith and it damages our service to others where we start to get a little bit more selfish. We start to become very untrusting. And so we want to avoid that. And this is the reason that Paul tells the Philippians to, to do all things without grumbling or questioning, but to recognize that the Lord does know best and that he will provide. We are searching scripture today with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We are in the May issue of The Lutheran Witness in Searching Scripture. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Gossett. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are in the May issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 today. And we are moving on to question three. Now, this is in the back of your May issue of the Lutheran Witness Searching Scripture. And so we're moving on to question three. You ready, Pastor? I'm ready. Here we go. Read Philippians chapter two, verses 15 through 16. How are believers contrasted with the world? What does this teach us about how God sees us in Christ? And what can lights in the darkness do for others? What word of life are the Philippians to hold fast, and when does Paul expect to see the full fruit of his work among the congregation in Philippi? It's 12 questions in one. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, they're, they're all related. Pretty oh, sneaky yeah. on that one, packing a lot into that one question. <laughs> all right. So how are believers contrasted with the world? So the, Paul writes to them that they may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so the contrast here is that the children of God are without blemish. They're spotless, blameless, even the word innocent is put here. And that they're contrasted with the worlds, the sons of this world who are crooked and twisted. And this does teach us something because if we look at ourselves, we have this passage right before about doing all things without grumbling or questioning. And I have yet to meet a single person who's, who's been blameless in that one, just objectively <laughs> speaking, but... But here we're actually seeing that this is how God sees us in Christ, that he sees us as blameless and innocent because of Christ's sacrifice for us, that he's paid for our sins, we're, that we're covered in Christ, we're clothed in Christ, and baptism is the language that Paul uses elsewhere, that our Heavenly Father actually does see us as, as innocent and pure, and that we're a light in the middle of the darkness. And that this is this light is actually meant to be a guide, a light shining in the world. This crooked and twisted generation of darkness, we're lights that can we can, for lack of a better term, enlighten. We can 
help people understand things. We can be a guide to them. The lights are a comfort in the darkness and that we can, that we can actually share this light with others. It's the nature of light in darkness is that it actually drives out darkness. And so that we can be this for others. We can be the instruments that God uses to bring the light of his salvation to others. And so it's that word of life that we hold to that Paul's mentioning gospel, the word of life, specifically the word of Christ's life, the Easter victory that he wins over sin, death, and hell, that the Philippians are to hold fast to it. Even if they look in themselves and they see sin, they also would look at Christ and they'd see forgiveness. They look in themselves and they see weakness and death. They look at Christ and they see eternal life. And so this is the word of life that they're to hold fast to, the word that he's been preaching to them so that on the day of Christ, he would be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. His words just weren't wasted on them because on the day of Christ, when he returns, this is when we're all going to see in fullness everything that God has been doing for us in Christ, that we, it won't be until Christ returns that we can actually look and see, okay, I actually am pure in Christ, that the old sinful nature is drowned and dead forever at Christ's return, and that in the life of the world to come, it'll only be light, purity. Ready for question four? All right. So this one has two paragraphs. Let's tackle the first paragraph first. <laughs> 4A. In his imprisonment, Paul is aware that his earthly life may be ending soon. Read Philippians 2 verse 17. How does his language reflect that he knows this? All right. So here, Paul has expressed a couple of different things here in the letter to the Philippians. He's writing, he's hard-pressed. His desire is to depart and be with Christ because that's better. This is all in chapter 1 but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so he does have this hope that he'll be released after his trial so that he can remain and continue to work with the congregations that he's helped establish. But here in verse 17, he's also very realistic that sometimes following Christ in the way of the cross does mean death and that he very well could be dying. And he writes, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And this image of being poured out as a drink offering, just being empty, we have, there's this echo of the language of Christ's blood being poured out, and he always connects this to his cross. And so Paul here, in his own life under the cross, is recognizing that this very well could lead to his death. All right. And more about the drink offering in the second half of question four. Read Numbers 28, verse seven. The drink offering was to be offered in the tabernacle every day in the morning and at twilight as part of Israel's ongoing sacrifices. How does knowing that this sacrifice was offered every day help us understand Paul's imagery of his service among the Philippians? So in Philippians 28, or in Numbers 28, the Lord tells Moses what the daily routine in the tabernacle is supposed to be. And part of it is the burnt offerings. And then the drink offering, he writes, is to be poured out as every day, twice a day, as a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. That this was something that was not just a one-time occasion. It wasn't just like once a year. There wasn't a bunch of grand ceremonies surrounding it, like on the Day of Atonement that this was just part of part and parcel of the everyday life of Israel. And understanding sacrificial life 
the sacrifice that Paul's talking about here, being poured out as a drink offering, connecting to this shows that it's an everyday thing. A lot of times when we think about good works, we want to think that you have to go to a different continent and do some kind of grand, g- grand deed or grand gesture of faith. But here, if we take a look at it, that Paul's being poured out the way that the drink offering was poured out every day, that um, our lives of sacrificial giving for our neighbor, it's just offered every day in our everyday vocations, the places that we're serving where God has called us. So that's within our families, within our communities, within our congregations, within our workplaces, that we have these, these places where, where we serve every day and multiple times a day. So it's just part of the fabric of our lives, rather than thinking that we've got to have these, these once in a lifetime grand gestures of faith that will be somehow better than, than the things that we do every day for the people that us. All right. Question five. Ready? Ready. Read Philippians 2, verse 18. Paul does not resent his service to the Philippians. What is his attitude about his service to them? How does this help the Philippians, who are likely worried about the outcome of his trial? How does this help us in our own service to others or in times of worry? So Paul's writing that even though he's being poured out as a drink offering, that he's glad and he rejoices with the Philippians, that because his labor hasn't been in vain, he knows that they have a solid faith. And so he doesn't resent it. He's happy about his service to them, even if it ends up resulting in the end of his life. And the Philippians who, they're Roman citizens. They know the politics of Rome. They know the whims of the Caesars. And so they have a pretty good idea that this could end with Paul's death. They might be a little bit worried about the outcome of his trial, might be a little bit worried that he'll get the death sentence. But here Paul is telling them he doesn't regret, that he's glad, he is rejoicing with them still, that even in the face of this cross, even in the valley of the shadow of death, he still has this joy that he's been able to be a part of the word of life going to them and that he wants them to rejoice and to be glad with him, that he wants them to have joy, that they have this fellowship with him and with Christ, even if it's under the cross, even if it is going to result in the world turning its back, but he wants them to have joy with him, that he doesn't want them to worry that he, that he's upset. This is, that it's ending this way. And this also tells us that we, in our service to others, we don't have to keep score. We don't have to think, I did this for them, so now they do that for me. But rather we just do, and we rejoice that we're part of the grand structure that God has set up to serve the people around us. And that really, it's humbling, but it also gives us joy that we're a part of God's work. And this all plugs into that paragraph before, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That when we're just walking through our life of faith in service to others, that we're actually doing God's work, that this is part of his plan and we're plugged into it. And he's actually, he's made us a part of what he's doing for other people, which should give us joy and that we should, we should rejoice. God is even we unworthy servants are the ones that God is giving all of these great things to other people, but we're the ones to whom he's doing. And this does help, help us in time of our own service, in times of worry, in times where we might be feeling a little bit tired or in times where we're tempted to grumble or try to keep score that instead the only score is just infinite joy 
and recognition. As you said earlier, everything is a gift from God, even our good works, even the people around us. Just about 30 seconds left. Wrapping this up, put it, let's put a nice bow on this. What are some overall uh, final comments for this? Philippians is often called the uh, Paul's epistle of joy. And I think we can really see that shining through here. Paul here is really tackling a big challenge and showing us what joy looks like, even when it's under the cross, when there are dangers associated with it, but and yet he doesn't flinch. And so we can take a good example from that. We can be encouraged that in our own times of challenge, we can also rejoice with Paul and with all the saints before us. Our guest today, Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois, searching scripture in the May issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pastor Oliphant, always a joy to get to spend some time with you in the Word each month. Thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me back. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.